Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Murph and Ken are here for the opening show of the week. Hello there, Ken. Hello there, Hello there. What a week it is for Scottish brothers and sisters in particular. On Thursday, they take to the polls to make the biggest decision in their country's history. Uh, a decision that has a knock-on effect on all of us, really. Will the British and Irish Lions have to change its name to the British, Irish and Scottish Lions? Is the big question You know we might have to Just give up on that whole thing And just call them the Lions And what does all this mean For the future of Stuart Hogg I mm. mean But not just Stuart Hogg Stuart Hogg's children's Children And Stuart Hogg's mm. children's children You need to think about that You know Because this one's forever The he's sporting There's angle no back the sporting angle is quite interesting, though. Supporters of the No campa- campaign can are presenting a scenario in which Scottish Olympic athletes will abandon their country, well, their new country, and stick with Team GB, who offer them possibly better financial and logistical support. The counter-argument is Scotland can now take a bit more of the credit for its own achievements, and a vibrant new independent country will harness all that patriotism and unleash it in the form of a couple of thumping 4-0 wins over the Republic of Ireland in the European qualifiers. Mm. They're not really talking about that part in Scotland, but that's that's my f- secret fear about all this. <laughs> that for one night... What does this whole issue mean for Ireland's Euro qualification? <laughs> yeah, for Monkino. That's basically the question we're asking. Andy Murray's in the yes camp. David Moyes and Alex Ferguson are saying no. Yeah. Um, or is Andy Murray in the yes camp? Yeah. Uh, well, Andy Murray is in the I would play for independent Scotland camp. Right, yeah. Uh, not the I would um, I would run south of the border to avail of the superior facilities camp, which appears to be the other the other camp <laughs> in that one. Which I don't know if it's uh, I suppose that's a very professional way of looking at your sport. Mm. You know, it's post nationalist. You know, yeah. And the, I think that that's you know, which is which is fine. I mean, I'm I'm I would regard myself as a post nationalist. Yeah, right? but, I know you've, but you've when you're shocked talking, our listeners as your anti Irish. Yeah, I've 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 spewed some anti-Irish <laughs> bile in my time, sure. Um, but when we're talking about international sport, that is one of the only venues in which, or only reasons in which nationalism still does seem to have some kind of relevance. Yeah, 
I mean, well, it doesn't have any moment. relevance there. What? I mean, that's what that's what's so kind of uh, interesting about the Scottish question. You know, I mean, on the one hand, should they even really be doing this in the twenty first century? I mean, are we not all past that? On the other hand, would you like to be ruled by David Cameron? Mm. His his shiny loafer pressing down on your on your throat <laughs> <laughs> would that appeal to you? And if that was the case, would you also not seek to go to the polls? So uh, yeah. It's it's an amazing coincidence, a, a lucky coincidence for uh, the yes cab that uh, the white horse riding to the rescue <laughs> of the of the no cab bid happens to be David Cabard. Here's a gentleman that we're pretty sure is on the no side. Give you a reason why you don't like a queen. No, I don't really have a, I don't really have a strong opinion about it. That's what I said. Why? Why no? I don't know. It just it doesn't really affect my life. How does she affect your life? She affects Great Britain, mate. She brings in twenty million pounds. Yeah, she, she brings twenty million pounds in tourism money, right? Yeah, yeah. She she okay. never brought that tourism money in. Yeah, yeah. This country would be fucked, mate. Yeah. They'd be fucking living on fucking ten pound gyros, mate. Yeah. That's the difference, right? See, Scotland breaks away. You fucking go like Dublin. Yeah, yeah. You go uh, like you Dublin, go. mate. You go down the path. Yeah, right? See, yeah, mate. Take no idea. Take a camera to Ireland. See every country in Ireland are fucking living on the streets, mate. They're living on the streets because they're fucking skint. That's a clip that has resurfaced this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, originally you, you might have brought our attention to that last year, but it's, it's very timely to, to play it. That guy's like an extreme version of somebody we all know. <laughs> you know, the, this guy, you know the the person who tells you something that is just totally factually incorrect, such as the Irish are all over here on the streets, but they're so adamant, no matter what you come back with, they're going to find a way to argue you down. It's difficult sometimes to argue with, with people's trying views. I mean, you should watch that that uh, clip, the full clip, because it's got. Uh, there are classical Rangers the, fans as can, well. I mean, you they, can see the England jersey that the that one of the men is uh, is wearing. Um, it's a wearing with more sight. than pride, I would say. Wearing with uh, an excessive know. degree of pride <laughs> uh, is taken in that in that jersey. We're talking Scottish independence, the role of sport, and the potential impact on sport. To Alex Massey, a journalist with the Spectator, in just a few minutes' time. No doubting the magic of the Vox Pop. I was just reminded of it there. Mm. Just going out talking to the the man or the woman on the street as a as a journalism tool. It is often hugely effective. My favorite example. It's probably when this guy was asked for his opinion outside Old Trafford last season. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Well, he's laughing today. <laughs> that man is finally happy again. <laughs> yeah, why not? David Moyes might have got the job on a technicality again. Yeah. The technicality being that he, he was offered the job by the club. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Louis, Louis Van Hal has got it by God, the he correct really, means. He really surfed the small print to see that one all right, didn't he? <laughs> Louis Van Hal. Has ripped it up, Ken. All yeah. he needed was for Ed Woodward to finally come good in his boasts, and now he's going to win the league. He's talking in specifics. I, I see even after the game, saying, "Well, we're going to be top three this season and win the league next year." Yeah. Well, look, he he said, um, I think it was put to him. Oh, you know, the club have suggested that their their financial projections are for a third place finish or above. So that seems to be their target. And he was like, "Well, of course, the club decides you have to have targets." I mean, I think he. It was a great weekend. For them, obviously, Manchester City and Arsenal drawing, Liverpool losing to Aston Villa. Um, and then these new players uh, coming to the side, Di Maria playing really uh, excitingly, Daddy Blind fitting in really well, um, and then Falcao. And you can see the kind of um, mania that surrounds Falcao, who, if he is fit, is going to be a brilliant player in the Premier League. And suddenly, yeah, things are looking a lot, uh, lot rosy. 112 completed passes for... 
Danny Blind. Daily Blind. Daily. I think, uh, it, is it Daly or Daly? Da- uh, like, I mean, is he called after Daly Thompson? Is or that where he was named? Salvador after? Daly. I mean, there, there are a lot, of, here. a lot of Dutch people have um, have English names. I mean, it's just a thing. Dennis Bergkamp Robin, named after Dennis Law. Robin Van Persie named after Robin Hood? Robin Cook? <laughs> Robin Cook. <laughs> named after Robin Cook. I don't think the, the numbers add up, and I'm pretty certain the... That I, that whole idea doesn't really stack up to you me know, either. You never know, but you know it's so. So Daly, it could could be Daly Thompson. He's a little on the young side, maybe. But uh, then again, Daly Thompson, great athlete. And uh, stayed in their hearts for a long number of years after of his sporting career. I do think, yeah, yeah, we have to be a little bit careful. I saw the uh, match day two analysis, and they were showing Di Maria, who was spectacular, and they were showing Blaine's performance. I mean, okay, you're you're like he's a basic enough type of player, and every player needs mm. your Daly Blaine's. Hey, in, Owen. in your teams, but let's not go over the top about outpassing QPR from the base of midfield. Hey, Owen, I know what you're saying. QPR were Ireland in Euro 2012 bad. <laughs> That's true, but at the same time, a football team is a little bit like a village. You've got, you need someone to to draw the water out of the well. That's your broad-backed Phil Jones type. You need someone at the other end, back in the village, to drink the water, mm-hmm. but. In between, you need someone to carry the water <laughs> from the well to the people. Mm. Your Falcaos, your Roonies, your Van Persies. Your you know, De Marias. They're all, they're, all your, your De Marias, your Matas, your Yanazais. Right? They're all back in the village, thirsty as all hell. Uh, Phil Jones is there, breaking his back in the, in the hot sun, um, dragging that water out. But who's going to carry the water from A to B? Mm. That's where David Bain comes in. And... Uh, I he did that 112 times. We could say, in the we could say that all, all the rest of the lads back, back in the village drank deep and were merry. We're going to catch up with Dan Martin today, who managed to stay out of trouble at the weekend and finished seventh, a brilliant seventh in the Vuelta España. He had a particular, uh, spectacular, I should say, crash earlier in the race in his Irish Times column. He described it thus, I went over a guardrail and down a ravine. I fell about five metres into a thorn bush. I actually didn't really know where I was, where, when I was going to stop falling. So I'm glad the bush was there. Well, we're all glad the bush was there, Dan, mm. and we're glad you managed to get back on. Because the ravine, on the bike. you know, that's not a ditch. That sound great. We'll have last year's Herder of the Year, Tony Kelly, on the show today, also, whose underage career came to a close on Saturday night. In the usual fashion, Murph, uh, third All Ireland under 21 win in a row, captain and man of the match for Clare. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not a bad day at the office for Tony Kelly. And uh, he's, he'd actually won two Munster minor titles in 2010 and 2011 as well. So he hasn't. So he got two years minor, three years under 21. Didn't lose a game in Munster. He did actually lose one Munster Championship game in under 21, but that was that was when he was playing at the age of 17, so it doesn't really count. All right, Alex Massey, Alex Massey joins us to talk independence. Alex, thanks very much for chatting. And we want to just consider whether or not sport is maybe a microcosm of the debate in some ways. There are threats about dire consequences on the one side of this if Scotland votes for its independence and maybe a utopian vision of an empowered new Scottish nation taking on the world on the other side. Yeah, um, that's a reasonable way of characterising it, I think. Um, I mean, to be fair to the Yes campaign, to the Scottish government and their supporters who thirst for independence, about the one thing they haven't promised uh, in an independent Scotland is that uh, that Scotland will qualify for the World Cup finals um, or, or win the whole thing. Um, you know, we've, we've sort of uh, cooled off on that since well, still got it, yeah, There's still a couple of days left for those sort of promises. Just to well, that's true, that's true, that's um, true. Against that, yes, there has been the sort 
sort of uh, usual witless nonsense from elements of the No campaign suggesting that, well, you know, it'd be really bad news for Scottish sports people and so on. Um, you know, I, I guess vote will see them cast into the international sporting wilderness, essentially. Um, and, and this is sort of, you know, tedious beyond belief. I mean, it is obviously true that for uh, some sports, um, say cycling is a good example, um, you know, where, where British cycling has an extremely fine set up uh, and lavishes huge amounts of money on um, on cyclists. Rowing would be another example. Uh, some of the Olympic sports where you could see that, um, uh, you know, individual Scottish athletes might have fewer opportunities after independence than is the case um, at present within the British system. But obviously, in general, um, you know, if Scotland rather than Britain was to be representing, uh, you know, to have teams in international competition, then, you know, actually more Scottish athletes would probably get the chance to compete at the European Athletics Championships or other events um, uh, of that sort than is currently the case. I mean, they wouldn't necessarily be any more likely to win medals. Um, but then, you know, very few Irish athletes win medals too at these things. Um, you know, the likes of Sonia Sullivan are a glorious and significant and well-remembered exception. Um, and that would obviously be likely to be the case with, um, you know, with Scotland too. Um, but it, as you suggest, it's all a pretty flimsy reason for voting one way or the other. And I don't know if too many people are going to be making their decision based on what's best for cycling and rowing. Um, but there are a couple of bigger sports in Scotland. Um, and I'm wondering how these are, are playing into the whole debate. I mean, you know, football being the biggest sport in the country. It is interesting that the idea of having a joint, you know, British team is repulsive to the Scottish um, sensibilities. I think uh, John Prescott maybe blurted something out to this effect last week. Oh, maybe if we had a joint team, we'd be able to beat the Germans. I'm, I'm not sure how serious he was, but you can see it wasn't... As serious as John Prescott ever is. It wasn't going... It, the idea is never going to go down well. So... I'm wondering why, can you explain to us why it is that almost all Scots, as far as I could see, uh, would, would find the idea of a Great Britain football team uh, revolting, and yet at least uh, 49, 50, 51% of them uh, you know, don't have the same feelings when it comes to the actual country? Well, part of it, of course, is just sort of tradition, really. You know, there's always been uh, a distinct uh, if you like independent Scottish football team um, they've always found new ways of disappointing us we've always found new ways of uh, kidding ourselves about them and our relationship with them but uh, uh, and, and so in, you know in large part it, it, it's tradition and, and uh, in some ways I mean people say and I think they probably exaggerate this a little but there's a you know like many of these things a kernel of truth in it that, that the Scottish football team has been a, a sort of representation of uh, the Scottish identity the Scottish uh, idea um, for a hundred years and so on and it's the sort of thing of preserving a distinct space for Scotland within the United Kingdom and in some ways you know um, uh, in in the years before I mean even even at the, the sort of zenith of um, of uh, unionism in the post-war era for instance you know feelings about uh, you know the Scottish football team uh, and and the English football team and so on were extremely um, simple uh, I was going to say complicated but they're actually extremely simple. Everybody was supporting Germany uh, in 1966 in the World Cup final, including, you know, huge numbers of people who'd um, spent uh, their war years fighting against Germany only 20 years previously. Um, uh, as for some other sports and so on, I mean, it's, uh, it's through a whole load of um, Scottish rugby players came out for a no vote 
um, this week. Uh, Gavin Hastings, uh, his brother Scott, uh, Andy Nichol, John Rutherford, uh, Roger Baird, a whole a whole number of them. Uh, and uh, this provoked uh, a certain amount of um, uh, concern, if you like, or a, caused a bit of a stir on Twitter and, and Facebook and other things and so on with um, some of the mad fringe of, uh, of yes voters saying, well, that's it. I'm boycotting Scottish rugby now, uh, um, which um, is the sort of thing, of course, Scottish rugby can ill afford. Um, uh, but, you know, just again, sort of shows that um, the relationship between, say, playing for Scotland and wanting independence is not as uh, as clear cut or as straightforward as a lot of people would think. I mean, it's the same in football. I mean, there are a number of football uh, people who've come out for yes, but in general, um, as far as one can tell, most of them from uh, are, are in favour of a no vote and the status quo, um, um, which um, I, I dare say might surprise some people, but there it is. Yeah, I saw I saw that and a lot of, uh, you know, the sort of big managers and so on, not just the ones who've worked in England either, mm. um, seem to seem to go on. There was a phrase in, uh, in a piece, an interesting piece that was written uh, last week at some point by Irvin Welsh, um, where he was talking about his own feelings about this. He uh, he very much comes down on the yes side of this question, mm-hmm. but talks about uh, the sort of formation of his own attitudes, uh, having gone through various stages. And, and in the beginning, he, he had this kind of Scottish anti-Englishness, which he describes as originating in an infantile football mentality. Um, do you think that the movement towards Scottish independence or the Scottish nationalist movement would exist without the Scottish football team. Has that been one of the primary drivers in sort of establishing that uh, that sort of sentiment in Scotland? Well, um, yes and no um, is the um, inconvenient answer to that, I think. I mean, as much as uh, the, the football team was for a long time, again, one of the sort of reminders of a, of a, a Scottish distinctness um, in the same way as the law, the church, um, education system, etc., etc. You know, we're all reminders that Scotland uh, was different to England, different to Wales too, um, and mercifully so. Um, but... Uh, you know, there's a slight difference between, you know, different to and separate from. Uh, but the Scottish football team certainly has, um, you know, for a long time was was taken as a sort of representation of the of the nation on, on, the, on the football field. Uh, and there are people who say that, you know, in 1979, when an insufficient number of uh, people came out to vote for what was actually a very paltry and um, thinly powered Scottish Assembly, a lot of people blame that on the... Um, uh, ludicrous failure in the 1978 World Cup finals, and there was a sort of sense that the football team and the electorate had um, had let the country down somehow, and uh, a sense of can we no do anything right, uh, as the novelist William McIlvanny put it. Um, subsequently, you know, a few years later. You know, in the early 1990s, Jim Sillers, who at the time was the deputy leader of the Scottish National Party um, and uh, subsequently fell out with Alex Salmond, but they've had a sort of uh, rapprochement for the cameras uh, in, in recent weeks for this campaign. But he lambasted Scottish voters' failure to vote for the SNP in, with their sufficient enthusiasm by suggesting that 
the the people were were nothing more than ninety minute patriots was how he described them. Uh, you know, quite happy to support the football team, uh, but unwilling to follow through what he would see the logic of that, which is if you support the football team, you should vote for the SNP. Um, but of course, a lot of people reject that um, and see no contradiction between their unionism and their enthusiasm for the Scottish football team, or indeed, of course, the Scottish rugby team. I know you made the point that it's a little bit tedious, you find the argument about, um, particularly with the Olympic sports, maybe with regards to the fact that the sports people involved there, rowers, cyclists, might be in a tricky spot. But uh, is that not a genuine issue in the sense that, I think it was Sir Craig Reedy, one of the top uh, sports administrators involved high up in the IOC. I mean, he just says, look, athletes follow the funding here and these guys will be with a new independent Scotland. They won't be guaranteed the same sort of luxuries they have in Team GB. So therefore, they're going to stay and win quite a lot of medals, really. Scotland won 30, or won or were at least part of winning, I think it was 13 of the 65 medals that Team GB won last time. Is that not a genuine concern? Well, I mean, it is for them, but it isn't for the country as a whole. I mean, that's the, you know, I mean, you know, Chris Hoy, admirable fellow, um, everybody has a great estimation for him and so on. Um, and, you know, he's he's very much a, a confirmed unionist and so on. And that's absolutely fine. Nobody begrudges him that, I think. But um, but it seems a bit silly to, to base the entire country's vote on the preferences of what is in the end a, high, a tiny handful of um, high class. Well, 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 I suppose it would be more about the, the potential for that to be lost for the the joy that Olympic medals brings. And I know there are bigger questions than, than, than sport, yeah, but in the I context mean, I mean, of what we're talking about here. Yes, I mean, I mean, what, what you what you could say, um, and it's, uh, I, I think with, with a little bit of reason and so on, is that the, the, the high-class athletes case, um, which seems terribly exceptional and so on, is in some ways a microcosm of the wider unionist case, which is that, um, you know, Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland are greater than the sum of their constituent parts when put together um, and um, you know the team GB shows that um, I mean that that there is something in that I think um, and it is as I say certainly likely that um, you know there'd be fewer world-class Scottish athletes and so on because a Scottish an independent Scotland would be probably be unlikely to um, support you know some Olympic sports to quite the same level as uh, as the United Kingdom does you know in the same way as we see relatively few um, world-class athletes outside of rugby um, from from New Zealand or or even um, you know outside um, you know hurling and other um, you know indigenous sports and so on. I'm afraid very few world class athletes from the Republic of Ireland. Mm. I see that Alex Ferguson is one of those who's thrown his. Yeah, he's, um, he's a very he's a very big no voter and so on. But you know he's a Labour man and you know considers himself still to be a sort of you know working class West of Scotland uh, Labour man. Um, yeah, does his voice carry any weight in Scotland? Do, do uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the image that Alex Ferguson has among the people that he left behind so many years ago. Well, uh, so many years ago, I think, is the key thing there. Um, you know, that the, uh, everybody has a... I think everybody respects him, but at the same time, does he speak to people? Maybe to a, a, to a sort of core, um, ultra-loyal Labour constituency still, but I'm not sure it's the sort of thing that... Um, that carries very much weight. And I think Fergie is probably actually um, slightly aware of the fact that having been away from Scotland for, well, for almost 30 years now, he is less well-placed to convince people than um, than would otherwise be the case. Um, and actually, he's not played a very large role in the campaign at all. I think there are some Labour people who wish he had played a, a larger and more significant role. Um, 
but um, but he's, he's he's not actually got involved very much at all. What about? I mean, we we've mentioned the fact that you know you, you mentioned the likes of Gavin Hastings and other rugby players, and you know people like uh, Alan McCoy, David Moyes, Billy McNeil, Ferguson, as we've mentioned. Um, these are all well-known figures, but they're all individuals. Has there been a, a, a kind of an institutional backing from, say, any of the big clubs uh, for one side or the other? I mean, we spoke uh, recently enough about the way in which Hearts encouraged their uh, team and supporters to go off and fight in the First World War with the lethal consequences for many of them. Um, uh, have the uh, the institutions taken more of a backseat 100 years later? No, they haven't. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, they have taken a backseat. I mean, they haven't done anything. Um, you know, individual football clubs, individual rugby clubs, individual sporting associations and so on have been um, very uh, careful, I think, to stay out of making any sort of recommendation um, because people don't want hassle. Um, and of course, it's quite difficult for uh, not so much for, say, you know, an individual football club, but just in general, you know, for anything that receives any organization that receives or depends upon any sort of government funding at the moment is generally extremely careful about coming out um, and recommending a no vote because there is a sense, justified or not, that this will complicate your um, applications for future funding from the Scottish government at present. Now, that might be a little bit unfair, but at the same time, it's the sort of thing that is widely believed and also. You know, people aren't, um, you know, I mean, are the people of Falkirk really going to, to pay very much attention to what the directors of Falkirk Football Club say they should well, do? Some, in the of, some of them might. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty tight race. Well, yeah, but it, I don't know. I mean, even, you know, you know, I mean, you know, even Rangers and Celtic, you know, the, although, you know, the, the sort of caricature of it is, uh, you know, Celtic voters will vote, uh, Celtic supporters will vote yes and Rangers supporters will vote no, um, uh, is, is somewhat misleading. It's much more complicated than that and so on. And there are actually, there are fewer sort of clear sanctional divisions, indeed, even the geographic divisions and so on in this race than, than, than you might imagine. I mean, you know, there are some, you know, the south of Scotland will vote no, Dundee will vote yes. Um, but in general, the differences between one part of the country and one group of, of Scots and so on are, are of degree rather than kind. Uh, in general, I mean, there are exceptions to that. Um, but, you know, for instance, there are um, there are some Rangers supporters who, who will be voting yes. Um, and, and there are plenty of Celtic supporters who will be voting no. Um, but, yes, you have this sort of curious thing of, you know, Rangers people, Rangers supporters who who um, will be supporting, who will vote yes and so on and cheerfully sing Rule Britannia the following Saturday, um, you know. But, you know, I, I, I long since tried making sense of, of that. Is there a potential positive impact on results, do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to picture no. um, <laughs> uh, I, on the football. Well, you think that, but of course we have the, a similar sort of, uh, you know, jaded view of our own national team in Ireland. I'm, I'm, I'm mm. trying to figure Republic of Ireland taking on a newly independent Scotland um, and the sort of empowering aspect of that maybe for the Scottish team and just Scotland in general on the sports field. Is there any chance that that, that could be the case if there is an independent Scotland? There's a wave of, a new wave of nationalism that will empower your sports like Croatia, the 1996 Croatia, 96. and 98. Although Croatia oh, might have been a bit more fully behind. Who could play football? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, Yugoslavia produced an astonishing number of, um, of, 
exceptionally gifted footballers, and, you, and, and Croatia had enough of them at the right time, and, and so on. I mean, I, no, I, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, I mean, you know, look, making the World Cup finals would be, um, would be a, you know, greeted with the sort of rapture that once upon a time escaping from the group stages would have made. Uh, you know, that is the sort of, um, you know, figure of, of Scottish football in decline in some ways. I mean, there are modest signs of progress at the moment, but uh, they remain modest uh, and provisional. Um, but no, I don't. I, I just I don't think that. Uh, I think passion and fervor and all of this stuff is is a load of crap, frankly, in football. Uh, I think it's massively overrated. You know what counts is being able to control the ball and identify a teammate. Um, and our, our guys are not as good at that um, as we might wish them to be. And I don't see that they would somehow get some sort of magic passing juice um, just because um, the country had voted for independence. Uh, yeah, I saw. Um, uh, you know, I mean, one of the ironies, of course, of the, of the of the whole thing is that you know most of the people who um are uh, who plays football for Scotland and a good number of the people who play rugby for Scotland and so on don't actually have a vote in this thing. Yeah, I don't think Andy Murray has a vote either because he's um... no. I think he'd vote no probably, but that's 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 a, a guess. And so on. He, but the, the he has... he's been very careful to to say absolutely nothing about it. He, well, he said that he would represent. He he would cheerfully represent the independent Scotland. He wouldn't be. Um, Sure, we're well, going yeah, down to, to lose there. I mean, you know, to to continue his his British. Well, I suppose he he has to lose. I, I would imagine a a large proportion of his attractiveness to some of his more lucrative sponsors. Um, if Andy Murray was to yeah, but he's be, already got forty million in the bank, so he can probably cope with that disappointment. I suppose, but he, he you know he spends time with a lot of really rich people. Forty million probably doesn't seem like that much. <laughs> I mean, if 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 he was to declare his Scottishness. Um, would seeing um, what we would then have to refer to only as the English uh, having to set back the Wimbledon clock to Fred Perry be in a way the greatest <laughs> satisfaction? Yeah, no, I think they could continue to claim Andy Murray as a, as a British victor and so on because at the time that would have been the case, but perhaps with a tiny little asterisk. Alex, it's been great talking to you. What's your prediction for Thursday? How's it going to go? Oh, God. Um, I mean, the, the honest answer is that nobody knows. Um, I still, my hunch, and, and, and everybody is basically working on hunches and so on, my hunch is still that it will be a narrow no. Um, but, you know, uh, if it's a yes vote, that's one of those things that at this stage you'd, you could still say is shocking, but it's no longer surprising. Yep. Alex Massey, brilliant to talk to you. Thanks a million. All right. Cheers, boys. Just on Alex Ferguson's level of involvement there, he donated to the Better Together group who are mm-hmm. behind the, the who are very much campaigning for a no vote. Here's their blurb on it. The Nationalists want to ban Scots living in other parts of the UK from donating to Better Together. We think there can be only one reason for fixing the rules in this way. They want to silence opposition to breaking away from the UK. Sir Alex agrees and has given the Scottish government one of his famous hair dryerings hair dryerings, saying 800,000 Scots like me live and work in other parts of the United Kingdom. We don't live in a foreign country. We're just in another part of the family of the UK. Scots living outside Scotland but inside the UK might not get a vote in the referendum, but we have a voice and we care deeply about our country. It's quite wrong of the man who's supposed to be leader of Scotland to try and silence people like this. I played for Scotland, managed the Scotland team. No one should question my Scottishness just because I live south of the border. No, too, Alex Ferguson. You'd still be allowed to do all that, even if Scotland was to vote yes on Thursday. Mm. That's quite all right. In fact, I'm not even British in, in any sense. And yet I can move, live and work in Britain if I so desire. So uh, I don't really understand the, what the point is. is he, I mean, it's not as though he's, you know, Scotland would become so, the Scots would become some uh, discriminated against um, 
uh, foreign uh, the jocks. Exactly. I mean, it's not. It's not as the though jocks. their status would, in to fact, give them their correct name, be changed in any in any meaningful way, as far as I can make out. Maybe they wouldn't be allowed to vote in English elections unless they've been living. I'm sure Alex Ferguson would. He's not allowed to vote in the Scottish one, I guess, because he doesn't live there. To take it back to the most important element of this, Ken, which I've touched on a couple of times in the show, and that is just how fired up Scotland will be against Ireland if they're independent. Yeah. There is... you made you made the Croatia Euro ninety six comparison. Yeah, but I think Alex made the made the salient point that Croatia, you know, Croatia had um, Prozinetsky and Davor Shukur and you know it wasn't. And Nelly maybe they were a little more. Uh, they might have been all a little more behind the new Croatia than the new than the Scots would be. I think, I, I think the quality of the players is the important. Yeah. You know, Boban. <laughs> the vote mightn't have been quite so tightly contested, though. I would have thought if Croatia had, had that opportunity. Yeah, I think it did. All, it, I mean, there was in that in that awful. Um, disintegration of Yugoslavia, an early, um, very famous episode of what happened in a in the football stadium when Zvonimir Boban kicked a mm. policeman. Um, that was back in '91, I think. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the Croatians still remain among the loudest and most uh, vocally uh, patriotic uh, football supporters, and have often actually got into trouble for various successes uh, of theirs. But ultimately. Um, their teams haven't been as successful when the players haven't been as good. Time for a little bit of this now. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? You got the potatoes yeah. and the pudding. Huh? And the pudding. Oh, yeah, there you are. Bone and bread, yeah, in uh, County Mead, a place called Navin. Okay, folks, can we all just count out for a second, right? I want you all to just visualize the dream pubescent. Yeah? Just think of the most... What it could is the possible high point of the Pierce Brosnan immigrant chat. It would have to involve the man himself live yeah. in a photograph. You're Fun. in that you're in that bar, maybe the one in Lost in Translation in the mm. hotel in Tokyo where Bill Murray and Scott Johansson are. And you're there in the Bill Murray role and you look up the bar and Pierce Brosnan in the Scott Johansson role is looking straight back into your eyes. Well, the answer, yes, would appear obvious. That uh Pierce Brosnan Emigrant Shoutout would feature the man himself, Pierce Brosnan. Well, of course, I've been giving this a lot of thought over the years. And do we re I mean, it seems like it's it's a no-brainer, but do we really want someone going up to Pierce Brosnan, holding the little sign with the hashtag PBezo, explaining the exact purpose of the photograph, also perhaps letting slip about a few of the <coughs> copyright infringements that may or may not have been committed in Pierce Brosnan's name? Well, maybe that's more trouble than it's worth. But fear not, because Declan Johnston has the perfect solution. All the Pierce Brosnan you could want, with none of the awkward Pierce Brosnan interaction that might have ensued. Anyway, I'll let Declan take over from here. Greetings, second captains. I think I may just have discovered the El Dorado of P. Bezos. I'm a journalist and long-time listener in, in Moscow, where your podcasts have kept myself and my girlfriend entertained for many an evening. I'm leaving Russia soon, and last week in work I saw that Pierce Brosnan was to hold a press conference here for his upcoming movie, The November Man. And we wish Pierce the very best of luck with that, of course. Looking forward to it. No, normally I'd skip these press conferences, but I saw my chance for a once-in-a-lifetime P. Bezos, so I headed along to see the great man himself. <laughs> While I didn't hold my nerve enough to ask him about his trusted brand of emigrant shoutouts in a room full of stressed out, eager Russian film journalists who all wanted to talk about boring things like the film itself, I did manage to get some snaps of the great man himself with a P. Bezos side. I hope you enjoy them. Thanks, Declan Johnston. So this, this landed in my inbox. It was like, oh my God, what could this possibly be? But Declan was sitting about 15 rows back 
yeah. from Pierce Brosnan. Oh, he's holding it in his own hand. Holding it in his own hand and then taking a photograph of Pierce Brosnan about 20 yards right. away. Okay. So it's 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 perfect. It, it was a perfect, perfect solution. I think it's a missed opportunity. Well, see, that's it, Owen. That's it. But those t-shirts, t-shirts are extremely, extremely nice. So nicely done, Declan. Uh, we'll post the photographs up as well. They're... Um, Delightfully surreptitious and a little stalkerish. If you're living inside Ireland and you want to be a part of the P. Bezo revolution, well, I'm sorry, but Pierce. Then can't. maybe you shouldn't be living here! See, it Fair is correct, point. in fairness. That's a valid point. The Velta Espana was an eventful one for Ireland's Dan Martin. It's ended with a brilliant finish of seventh, his highest ever in one of the grand tours. He's on the way home and joins us now. Dan, you must be delighted with yourself. Oh, I don't know, but yeah, I'm kind of feeling a bit tired. <laughs> but uh, as always, yeah, a lot happens in three weeks, and we've had a new, like, we're just lucky to have such, be able to share the experience with uh, such an incredible group of guys with, uh, with the Garmin Sharp team, and it's just really great to uh, to bring home a, a top 10 result on a grand tour. Reading your diary, Dan, it, it seemed like a, a particularly grueling race, uh, late finishes, a lot of, of travelling in between, a lot of physicality in the in the stages themselves. Yeah, the Walter, it's, Spain is an incredibly diverse country, and they seem to throw every uh, every possible scenario at crosswinds, mountains, and but the extreme heat in the first week really did take it out of a lot of guys. And it's it, it definitely yeah a three week race is always going to be a challenge. But it's yeah this year yeah, it was a lot of a lot of transfers as well. But it's it's just all part of the test, and it's the same for everybody. And it's it just means that every every coach it differently and it just makes for a different, a very testing race. Your biggest test, presumably, was that crash. You went over a guardrail down a ravine. I mean, it's, it's pretty spectacular. Was it a scary one? It was for a bit, yeah. I was in a bit of shock for a while. I kind of just toppled over and found myself here sliding down a mud bank and didn't really know how I was going to get back up until one of my teammates climbed over and kind of helped me because I was in a bit of shock and didn't really uh, know what to do at the time. But it's, yeah, I mean, this guy's an incredible jump to get me back in the race and it was, yeah, from there, it was obviously I had to take antibiotics, which didn't really, I think it impacted my, on my performance the last few days. And the last, yeah, the last two, three stages, I was definitely feeling my body like starting to give up on me. And it was a big struggle just to get to the finish and hold on to the, the, all the work that we'd done over the, the weeks the weeks before. But it's, uh, as I say, it makes it even better to be able to just finish the job. And I really did empty myself on this, on Saturday. It was, I was feeling pretty rough yesterday. I actually had the worst hangover I've ever had. And, uh, Without even drinking a drop of alcohol, you know, so it's kind of it was an interesting sensation. Yeah, I, well, I was about to say I can imagine. I, I can't imagine what it's like putting your body through all of that. Just going back to the the crash, what were those first few minutes like afterwards? Because we always marvel at the ability of you guys to to get back after incidents like that. I mean, you said you're, you, it was a scary moment. You didn't quite know how you were getting back out of the ravine. You were helped out of there by a teammate. What happens then? How do you get back on your bike? Well, I actually tried to get back on my teammate's bike. It was, it was about four sizes too big for me to start with. I was that I was that dazed. But it's uh, yeah, no, it was it was it's a story. I was a bit unsure whether I'd be able to continue because my leg, I didn't really have any like I didn't have any strength in my leg, and it was uh, a bit worrying because it obviously had such a big impact on the shin bone that it was. Uh, I thought it might have been like yeah, worst case broken, you know. So, but then after after a couple of hundred meters, it kind of feeling starting to get back into it and then yeah psychologically you just get back into the race and you forget the pain and just the concentration's back on the effort and just getting back in the race especially when you're surrounded with your whole team all doing their best possible to get you get me get me back into a winning situation and get back in the front it was uh, a really 
they're really an incredible team effort, and it shows what a team effort cycling is. I mean, those guys thought that they was done. They'd helped me get into perfect position before the climb, and uh, they'd done a great job all day. And then even got guys like David Miller, who'd already crashed and had two broken fixtures and a broken rib, and then suddenly he's he's killing himself to get me, get me, get, I saved my race still, you know. So it's it, it, it's a it was a really great team effort, and it was that really drove me on to continue. You know, I see these guys suffering for me, and then it's just. It's what keeps you going. You've been in the wars quite a lot, I think, Dan. I mean, there was the uh, Vuelta last year where you had a concussion. There was the the unfortunate incident uh, at the Giro d'Italia in Belfast this time around. Uh, have you just been unlucky? Are there? Are you concerned about about your own safety, about safety in cycling? No, oh, not at all. It's just been a bit of a bad. Uh, you go, you go through bad, bad, bad uh, times. You know, it's it's uh, just been a bit of bad, a run of bad luck lately, and it's. Like crashes are quite normal in cycling. It's just, you, know, you just bounce back, and it's, I've been very lucky in my career not to get badly injured before. And it just seems to be this year I just had a bad, a bad run a lot. But it's uh, yeah, I'm sure goes around, comes around, and uh, yeah, well, it's you just don't even think about it. Yeah. The team bond you talk about there, Dan, it seems very interesting because I was going to ask when you're getting back, when you're coming back the next day, the day after that, as you say, emptying your body in the way that you did, uh, a lot of that, I guess, would have to come from within. But do you need to do you need to believe that the rest of your team are pulling in the same direction to help you through that? Because cycling can be a lonely place, I would imagine. But in cases like that, is that where the team ethic actually really comes in? Oh, I think we we belong to a very special team. It's almost like a family and. Especially when I've been teammates with some of these guys for my whole career for seven years, and it's easy to develop bonds. Uh, we all live in Girona as well, so we're, they're more friends than teammates, you know. So it's it, it, it's been at the dinner table. I mean, we've we've together for four weeks, and we never had there's never been one dispute, one one little slight argument, you know. It's just like we we get on very well, and it's something that makes the team special. I think it's, there's very few teams that would actually hang out socially away from races as well as, well as being at, uh, at the actual event. So it definitely helps you on, but it's, it's also a case of like, my personal ethos and my personal philosophies that I don't... I see these guys sacrificing their opportunities and success to help me be successful. So it's it's, it's clear that I really want to... Uh, to push myself to the limit and just keep you know, the final. Yeah, well, I know you're on the way back to the airport there, Dan. So listen, we'll we'll leave you to it and uh, and have a safe flight. Well done on a on a brilliant uh, a brilliant yeah. race. Take care. Thank you very much. Yeah. Flame hair, flame hair, flame throw, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite somebody. John Hayes, I'm talking about, on yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now before you give it up. Yeah, congratulations to Dan there. And there was so much in his own race, I didn't even really have time to... Cram in a mention of the bust-up between Ivan Rovny and Gianluca Brambia. Both cyclists booted unceremoniously off the tour for having a pretty unseemly-looking fight. I mean, I suppose all fights are unseemly-looking in their way, but particularly mm. when two guys are cycling up a, a, a mountain. I, yeah, I know, Ken, that you you had a, a bit of a set-to on your bike um, with a 16-pack of uh, toilet tissue 
that I know didn't go your way either. So I'm sure you know how the cyclists feel. Well, I mean, it wasn't a tattoo. It was just a, it was just a somewhat uh, bulky item bag to really be <clears throat> to be to be carrying mm, while on your back. I, I mean, if I recall correctly, maybe I had. Yeah, what I had was a big bag full of shopping. You know, one of those canvas yeah. type bags that was dangling from my left handlebar. And then I had a big uh, 16 uh, roll uh, thing of toilet tissue under my right arm <laughs> as I cycled pretty slow. I thought, well, I'm cycling slowly enough. This isn't really that dangerous. Um, yeah. But of course, it turns out when you've only got one hand and then the the sort of the, the thing itself, the, you know, the, the bag. Canvas bag. Is- has a, the thing is, it's got quite a lot of, um, what would the word be? Moment. Um Momentum. I know what you're saying, yeah. Uh, but we've all tried to cycle and thought, these canvas bags will be fine, but they're swinging left, right and centre. Yeah. You just can't keep the so, still. So I actually um, ended up, as I was, I was going up the road, and the bag, as it was swinging, clipped a car, which was parked on the left, parked on the, on the side of the street, and then flew back across the front of the bike, like, you know, like a pendulum, yeah. uh, with irresistible momentum, causing me to go straight over the handlebars <laughs> Uh, and it was just lucky that I had those uh, those sixteen toilet yeah. rolls to land on uh, to break my fall. And then the car—it was also like the car that was just behind me skidded to a halt inches from my uh, from my body. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was a guard immediately on the scene. I remember. Uh, yeah, the, the, I was quite happy, pleased that the person on the side of the street apologized to me when I thought, "Oh no, I'm going to have to apologize to this person because yeah. my bag kind of clipped." But they said, "Oh, sorry," and I said, "Oh, it's it's fine." But then I saw the guard was there, and I quickly had to scuttle over and gather up my bag because if you looked in the bag, there was a bottle of whiskey in the bag. <laughs> 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 this guard, seeing my shopping, would have noticed immediately just this bottle of. of I mean, there was some yeah. occasion. Well, that would have been it was okay. obviously it was, an occasion. Was, it was yeah, a- of course, Ken. We know, we know. You don't need to explain yourself. But I still felt an incredible sense of shame when yeah. I saw that whiskey was there, <laughs> open to the air. You know, and I was like, oh no. Luckily, it wasn't broken, but at the same time, I, I wanted it covered. Mm. I felt a similar sense of shame the time I was driving around the city centre in Dublin with a case of beer on the roof of my car. When I say on the roof, I don't, <laughs> sitting on the roof. I don't mean tied down on the roof rack. I mean... You'd casually driven It was off. around Christmas time. I'd taken it from the office. It was actually a case, a case of Bulmers. I don't even drink the stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it was free, so I stuck it on the roof. Opened my car, forgot the bit where you then take it off the roof and stick it into the passenger seat. Drove away. <laughs> and a guard, a guard uh, drove alongside me, asked me to pull over, which is a scary... I'd never been asked to pull over before. I thought, this is, this is like something from the movies. And they said... Um, oh, I can't remember the exact... He, he questioned my, my brain power, certainly. Did they breathalyze yeah. you? And no, no, he just... No, I think he... It was pretty clear I was just sober and stupid rather right. than in, mm. in any way drunk. And he, uh, yeah, he just asked me to step out of the car and have a look at what was on the roof. <laughs> at which point I realised my, my error and moved on. What's coming up in second captain's football? That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them over. What you doing down here, you surely man? Well, Owen, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened over the weekend. Uh, Rio Ferdinand's book is out. Uh, lots of interesting stuff in there. Um, it gets better and better. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit about some stuff that's happening this week as well, mainly in Germany. 
Yeah, Champions League fixtures game is what they're called. Champions League. They're games. more exciting than you. You're, I know you don't want to be fall into the it's danger the of overhyping the tournament. Gilson Kirkin against uh, Schalke. Yeah, now we're talking Schalke. about this. Schalke is Gilson. Sorry, yeah. we're joined by last year's Herder of the Year and now three-time All Ireland Under Twenty One champion Tony Kelly, who was captain and man of the match for Clare against Wexford on Saturday night. Tony, great to talk to you. And uh, that's you finished as an underage hurler and an end of an era, I guess, for a panel of players. Certainly the. The older guys of the under twenty ones are finished up, which means well, I guess Saturday must have been pretty emotional. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose the the aim of the first year was to win the All Ireland, and um, I suppose for the few of us that are gone off under twenty one, we wanted to sign off in a, in a win, and um, I suppose better place to do it than Tardis in an All Ireland final. So um, uh, it wasn't that emotional, but um, look, I suppose we hadn't sunk in yet that we've achieved something special. So it'd probably sink in over the next day too. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing playing uh, under-21, playing minor and under-21 in that you kind of have all of your career ahead of you, but at the same time you're you're saying goodbye to a group of players that you would have started with, say, at minor level in 2010. So that's a fair chunk of your hurling career uh, taken care of in those five years. Yeah, look, at it, but the, uh, there's, I think, 10 of us that were there since maybe seven and ten, maybe seven and ten with uh, Donald, Jerry and Paul and... Um, I suppose we've we've come accustomed to to them maybe every every week and every weekend training with them and um, I suppose it'll be a bit weird now not seeing them next year and um, I suppose look at I suppose that's just the development that there goes through I suppose he he kind of hones in all these skills from minor twenty one and then I suppose employment at senior level and um, I think the the device have as well equipped to do that. You're I think you're only sixteen days away from being eligible again next year, Tony. Is that right? Yeah, just a it's just two weeks over. So, uh, just unlucky enough to get another another possible fourth uh, fourth all Ireland. Fourth would be gre- four would be greedy though, Tony. In fairness, so we'll we'll leave it at uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fourth, fourth would be greedy. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy with the three. I'm happy with three. I'd have been happy with one, but three, three, three is enough. Yeah. We were talking to Christy O'Connor on the show last week, and he said that even though there have been the uh, there has been a lot of underage success in the last few years, uh, it's still Claire that we're talking about. It's not Kilkenny. It's not. A team who who has a tradition of winning so regularly. So he said it's very much still a case that there is a novelty to it, and that an All Ireland is still a huge thing to be cherished and for people to get excited about. Is that the same with the players? When you've come up winning these things and, and winning Munster titles at minor, does it still feel pretty special winning an All Ireland, or is it is it just uh, what you do on an annual basis now? I don't know. There's I think there's no better feeling than, than playing in Ireland and winning in Ireland, and um, we're no different in player like we want to be. Challenging in September in um, a lot of the finals, and um, I think the management team and ourselves had, had a bit of unfinished business from 2011 to this year as well. All right, Tony. Well, listen, congratulations on another All Ireland, and thanks a million for chatting to us today, Tony Kenny. Sure that's the question that's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. No, I think Hawk have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups. Massive boo-boo. Tonight, 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 tonight. You would imagine, Murph, with the uh, the fact that quite clearly there's been no knock-on effect on the under-21s 
from the disappointing campaign for the seniors. They've won another one. Um, there's, there's probably still a lot in the Clare senior team. I mean, Donegal, it was very hard if you're not Kilkenny and Hurling or Kerry in football to, yeah. to to back things up. And even for those counties, it can be hard sometimes. So yeah, m- th- maybe Clare will be back next year? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the, the thing that we've seen is that to win your first one or your first first one in a long time, like say the Dubs in 2011, um, in particular, I mean, the Dubs couldn't do it again this year. I mean, it is just hard to, it's extremely difficult to retain. I mean, the football uh, title has been, has been retained, apart from Kerry in 06, 07, in years and years and years. You know, I mean, if you, as you said, the Donegal analogy um, had that horrendous defeat to Mayo. When you look back at it, you know, it's just so shocking now when you when you realise what Mayo did to Donegal last year. I mean, you know, defenestrated them out of the championship. Um, it doesn't matter how good your manager is, it can just take its toll. So, you know, I think that there is obviously things going on in the background in Clare that... Um, yeah, the Podge Collins uh, defection won't yeah. help There's matters. There's also going to be changes in the backroom team, Davey has uh, suggested last week as well. Um, well, Jim McGuinness said that. I don't know if that's necessarily a good yeah, or a bad exactly, thing. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, uh, it can kind of go, go both ways. Clare will obviously be hoping that they just have too many good players for them to be going anywhere over the next seven or eight years. We hope you've enjoyed the show today. Thanks very much for listening to us. You can check out the new website, secondcaptains.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. Ken, you look like you've enjoyed it yourself. Murph, you've oh, enjoyed really this show. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> it's good Thanks, that, Ken. Good that the people involved have enjoyed it anyway, yeah. so hopefully your listeners have too. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening, and Thank we'll talk you. to you for Second Captains Football a little later. Take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 